With concern for the direction of the church, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. I'm greatly concerned as a pastor, as a fellow believer, as I see the church at large. If I put the church in quotations, ours would be included. I'm concerned that there is a great emphasis and energy and resources from churches today trying to build a political powerhouse and abandoning the spiritual kingdom that Jesus Christ came to build in our lives. I see this shift in the church as a whole, away from building a spiritual kingdom. And in its place, we see all this energy and effort going into building a political powerhouse. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. You should be yourself, someone has said, for everyone else is taken. Wise words pointing to a real purpose for your life. There's a purpose for the church as well. We'll hear about it today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're making our way through the book of Romans. In chapter 13, we'll begin to explore how our unique purpose individually and as the church is to play out in relationships to governing authorities. Here now with today's study is Pastor Ed. Looking at Romans chapter 13, you couldn't set this up any better than the Lord did. And that's so cool because the Spirit of God has a word for us, not only with the impending election that's up ahead, but also for our responsibility toward government. God wants to teach us what the Christian's responsibility is. Why? Because God desires, I believe, for us as his kids to be the absolute best citizens on this earth. There shouldn't be better citizens than Christians because the Bible is clear. A good Christian is a good citizen. God has established government. He's established government to both restrain evil and reward good. And there's a role that God uses, government. And we have a responsibility, believers. We have a responsibility both to God and to our government as believers, as Christians. And I know that two hot topics are, exist everywhere on the planet, at your workplace, at home, at the family dinner, at the family gatherings, two topics, and there's usually two opinions toward it, and that is religion and politics. Now, there's two camps to that. Some people just don't want to talk about either one. They'd rather talk about anything but religion and politics. And I can understand. They're just like, hey, I don't want to talk about that stuff. I know where it's going to lead. And then the other side is that people just love to talk about religion and politics because all they want to do is argue. And they want to make their point. Now, whatever side of the camp you're on, today we handle both topics because both are here in the Word. What we might view or what the world might view as religion, we would see as a relationship with Jesus Christ, a personal relationship where you're born again, and with that born-again life, you have a responsibility, and so do I, toward the government. And politics. How does God use politics? And we're going to deal with both of them. Right off the top, it's important for us to know that the Bible leads us to be active in our government. 
The Bible encourages us, strongly exhorts us to be good Christian citizens. And for some, no, for many, that's going to mean that we are actively engaged in the political realm of our country. That means we're going to be voting and making good godly decisions based on the things that are presented to us. For some of you, it might mean you become a part of city council or you, get a part, you become a part of the association in your neighborhood or the school board. Or some of you might be called to be congressmen or women or senators. And maybe, just maybe, within and among us or maybe downstairs in its children's ministry, should the Lord tarry, the next president of the United States might be among us. It's important for us to be involved. We happen to be a part of a representative type of government that gives us the ability to speak and have a voice in our society. And I believe the Bible strongly encourages us to be a part of that. Personally, personally, I believe in supporting righteous legislation. I believe in supporting candidates that are godly and are going to enact godly laws. I believe it's biblical. And personally, that's my conviction. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. It's true. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And so it's important for us to support that godliness in our government, to make good, sound, wise decisions. But I have to say this, church, as every election cycle, I've been around now to see a few election cycles as an adult. As each election cycle comes through, I'm really becoming less and less concerned with party politics. I'm less and less concerned with what's going on in the political realm for politics sake. What the Lord has been really impressing upon my heart is that I don't find my hope in any election. I find my hope in Jesus Christ and him alone. He alone, you know, according to my Bible, he will forever be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he alone gets my allegiance. Am I active or should I be active in the realm of politics in our country? Absolutely, to the degree that God's calling. Absolutely. But this whole idea of being distracted, being tripped up. You watch these commercials and, and the guys and the gals that are running for office, they're like, they're presenting themselves as some Messiah, some Savior. Vote for me, I'll save you. I'll put more money in your pocket. Oh, wow. Here it is, right here. Put it right here, bro, right here. I'll take care of this for you, and I'll change this, and I'll do this, and I'll do that. I'll even, so, you know, you can just see it. I'll even come over, and I'll butter your bread and make you breakfast if you vote for me. Enough of that stuff. It doesn't matter what way the election goes for us as a congregation. Our heart is still going to be to see people won over to Jesus Christ to see people discipled in Jesus Christ, and to see people sent out for Jesus Christ, nothing changes. Nothing changes. We make good, godly decisions. We cast a vote. We stand for what is right. But our hope is not in an election. Our hope is not in a candidate. Our hope is not in laws enacted. Our hope is in the Lord. It's important for us to remember that we hold as Christians a dual citizenship. We are first of all citizens of this earth and in this country for most of us. 
We're citizens of our particular city or count. We are earthly citizens. We have an earthly responsibility. But we're also citizens of heaven. We're citizens of our heavenly father's domain, of his kingdom. We need to be real careful here when it comes to the topic of politics. Because if we're not careful, we may forget that we're citizens of heaven first and foremost. Remember, Jesus gave a model prayer. Many of you memorized it as a kid. And when you recite it, when you pray it, when you use it as a model, part of what you're praying is, thy kingdom come, right? Thy will be done. Not our will, not our kingdom, but God's kingdom. And there's an important balance between the two. The main reason, guys, the main reason for citizenship on the earth, the primary purpose, the singular goal is to preach the gospel. It's evangelism. It's to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ so that they might be rescued from their sin, forgiven in Jesus Christ, saved, secure in Jesus to go out and share the gospel with someone else. There's really no other reason to live. I mean, when you woke up in the morning and you said today, just today, oh God, thank you for my breath. Thank you for my life. Thank you for giving me another day. I pray that the flow of that prayer, that what came out of your heart, will then no, open doors for me. I want to share your love with you. I want to be a witness. I want that power of your spirit in my life so that I might be a witness unto the gospel. There is no other reason. If you lose sight of that and you get caught up in all the hoopla of politics and government, you may, you may just miss you know, because you might be one of those people. I realize you might be. I, I, I don't know you personally, but you might be one of those people that just loves to argue. Can I ask you a question? What are you gaining? Let's just say you do win the argument, man. You slam them down, bam, 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 bam. Man, I won. Stay down. I got another one. What do you win? Oh, yeah, Jesus loves you. Yeah. Can I help you up? Bam, can I help you? I mean... Maybe you're the one that just arguing and you're known at work. You're the one that wins all. Don't talk to him, man. He got all the... Okay, great. So you're a great arguer. But man, where's your heart for the lost? I mean, it's great to express your viewpoint. We certainly have that freedom and God would allow us to do that. But are you in your mind expressing your viewpoint in such a way to draw someone to the love of Jesus Christ? Why all the arguing? Why all the battling? I think we've been tripped up. I think we've been trapped. I think the enemy's kind of thrown out a little bit of bait and we bit on it. And all the while, while we're all caught up in man, people are dying, going to hell. And so God, he wants us to understand our responsibility. I'm concerned. I'm greatly concerned as a pastor, as a fellow believer, as I see the church at large. I have a little different vantage point at times from you, perhaps, where I see the church as a whole today, the entirety of the church. I put the church in quotations Ours would be included. I'm concerned that there is a great emphasis and energy and resources from churches today trying to build a political powerhouse and abandoning the spiritual kingdom that Jesus Christ came to build in our lives. I see this shift in the church as a whole away from building a spiritual kingdom and in its place, we see all this energy and effort going into building a political powerhouse. And there's a fine line of how to enter into the political realm to bring forth righteousness and justice. And we need to be careful. You know, it's not new. It's not new. The Jews awaiting their Messiah at the time of Jesus had the same kind of mentality. They were under the oppression of Rome at the time. 
They were living under heavy, burdensome taxation. Their rights and their privileges were taken away from them. And they were so caught up in what they were losing and what they were dealing with within the realm of the oppression of Rome that in their expectation of the Messiah, they missed Jesus as their Messiah. One reason was is because they expected their Messiah to come in and overthrow Rome. They were expecting, hey, look at the oppression in our lives. Who's going to come and save us? Who's going to come and take care of this? Who's going to make our life better for 30, 40 years? And they missed Jesus who said, I'm going to come and make your life better for 30, 40 years for eternity, but not the way that you think. I didn't come to overthrow Rome. The cry of the hearts of the Jews of that day was for deliverance from God. The depths of their cries were for the Messiah. Save us, they would cry out. The excruciating oppression of Rome was just terrible. But their expectation upon the Messiah was that he would overthrow the Roman government and create a political powerhouse where they would rule and reign with him. William Barclay, in his commentary, puts it best. He says, Palestine was an occupied country, and the Jews were a proud race. They never forgot that they were God's chosen people. They dreamed of the day when their divine deliverer would come. But for the most part, they dreamed of that day in terms of military conquest and political power. For that reason, Palestine was the most inflammable country in the world. It lived amidst revolutions, leader after leader arose, had his moment of glory and was then eliminated by the might of Rome. Jesus had to educate men's minds. He had to change their ideas. He had to somehow enable them to see that his power was love and not a force of arms. He had to almost in secrecy work until men knew him for what he was, the lover and not the destroyer of the lives of men. Jesus enjoined silence upon those whom he helped, lest men would rise up and try to use Jesus to make their own dreams come true instead of waiting on the dream of God. They had to be silent until they had learned the right things to say about him. Balance is so key. Our priorities need to be in order, church. Yes, Christians are to be involved in government, even in politics. Yes, Christians are to be model citizens living in society, submissive to those in authority. But please carefully assess your priorities between what's spiritual and what is earthly. And if necessary, rearrange them. There's room for both, but only in the right order. Because if we have them flipped around and the earth is, we just live for this earth and this earth is all there is, we're going to miss the kingdom of God. We're going to miss his ownership and his rulership over my life, over your life. Romans 13, verse 1, with all that in mind. Let every soul, now every soul would cover just about every soul, right? There are no exceptions today for those that are listening to my voice. No exceptions. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. You cannot just keep right every time. That's a truth every time. You're going to bring judgment on yourself when you and I, we decide not to submit to authorities. We decide to resist, we're going to pay for it. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid by the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. For if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, 
For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Verse 5. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. So true. Never a time where the tax, tax date passes and they're not continually attending to those very things, right? We'll get into that the next study. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So right at the beginning in verse 1, he says, let every soul be subject. You can circle that word subject. You can write next to it rank and file. It's a military term. It's the Greek word hupotasso. It has the picture of a military officer overseeing a group. And the group is subject. There's a rank and file to your superior officer. Another way of using that word subject is submission. That we're in submission to the governing authorities. Part of the plan and the will of God is to submit ourselves to the government authorities that God has allowed over us in Jesus' name. And you go, wait a minute, is this a new teaching? I mean, this sounds, this sounds very interesting, Ed, but is this the only place that it's taught? No, no, let's flip over to, go to the right, 1 Peter chapter 2. It's not a new teaching at all. This is a common teaching throughout the scriptures. We see Jesus taught us to submit to our authorities. It was practiced in the early church. An apostle after an apostle in his letters continually remind us, hey church, hey church, I know your views are often going to be contrary to government's views. This is your responsibility. Submit. Be subject. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. We have studied Peter, so if you want to look at this study in depth, you can grab it off the internet from our website, so you can grab it. But notice here, verse 13 of chapter 2, 1 Peter, he says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to king as supreme or to the governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice. Not using your freedom. There's the specific context. You don't use your freedom to break the law as a believer. You go, all things are lawful for me. I don't care what the law of the land says. No, 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 no. That's not what this says at all. It says there is an order in our lives, not using our liberty as a cloak for vice, but remembering that we're servants of God. That, they're going to see this intertwine every time this is spoken of. There's our responsibility to human government, our responsibility to spiritual government, and they intertwine. A few pages over to the left, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Same thing is taught, 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're learning our responsibility to those that are in authority over us toward the taxation, even when we don't agree with it, toward customs, you know, when you travel back and forth, you got to pay your customs, toward those that are in authority that we may not like, that we may not agree with, God is saying, submit to them for the sake of the gospel. Submit to them because of your relationship with me. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for, what does your Bible say? All men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. There's that physical and spiritual. Hey, live a submitted life to the governing authority so you might live in godliness, and your godliness would affect other people around you. It makes no sense from a biblical standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, to be an anarchist 
just for the sake of my own opinion and miss out on the opportunity that your life, my life, it doesn't belong to us anymore. We've been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ, and he has order for us. Well, Ed, I've heard what the Bible says, and I don't like the leadership. I think they stink. I don't like them. And it doesn't have to just be, just because the election's upon us, it doesn't just have to be the election. Maybe you got a new boss, a new landlord. They got new rules, a new association in your neighborhood, a new law enforcement effort of speeding in your neighborhood, whatever it might be. And you go, I don't like that. I don't think it's fair. They don't understand. What am I supposed to do? Well, the Bible's clear. Nothing changes. Submit unto the governing authorities. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor has been in the book of Romans. We're going through the epistle from start to finish. To hear today's message again, go to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Well, Pastor Ed, as we begin a mini-series on the Christian citizen and government, I couldn't help but think of what's transpired recently in our nation. When we see those in authority misbehaving or doing things we disagree with, how should we respond? Is disrespect or rebellion ever the wise move? Well, Larry, let me start with the second part of your question. Is disrespect or rebellion ever the wise move? No. It's never the wise move to sin. Now, we do live in a culture that has taught us from a very young age this existential view of life that the end always justifies the means That's not true. That's not biblical, and that's not God's wisdom. The end does not justify sinful means. We're to avoid sinful decisions at every opportunity. So disrespect and rebellion is not wise. But there is a frustrating place there, isn't there, when those that are in authority are misbehaving or doing things that we disagree with. How should we respond? Again, this seems like the theme of the week, isn't it? How should we respond? Number one, we should pray. We should pray as the Bible instructs us. Paul told young Timothy that we should be praying for those in authority. And it shouldn't just be when they misbehave or when mistakes are made of those in authority or placed in authority over us. Uh, We should pray. We should always be praying for those in authority, those that are leading our country, leading our city, leading our state. Not only should we pray, but number two, we should trust. And remember that these authority figures are appointed by God, even, yes, especially those that we don't agree with or we don't like. God is doing something bigger. We don't always know what God is doing, but he's doing something bigger than what we can see right now. And we need to learn to pray and trust. Thirdly, we should submit. We should submit ourselves to the governing authorities. You go, wait a minute, Ed, wait a minute. We're talking about misbehaving. We're talking about things that we disagree with. And here's the line. If those in authority are leading us toward those things that are to disobey God, we obey God, no question. And if they are not going to that extreme, then we use the governing system among us to the best of our ability to stand up for those that have no voice, for those that are voiceless. Uh, Jesus, uh, the Bible would put it for the, they it would characterize that as the widow and the orphan, those that are voiceless. Uh, and it's frustrating to no, no end. 
And there are a lot of different options that people have chosen. But I think praying, trusting, and submitting, we're going to learn to live peaceably with all men. We're going to learn to live in a way that will honor God. Because remember, our goal in culture is to spread the gospel and to see people's lives transformed and saved. Great question. Well said. Thanks again, my friend. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word to people all across the world, but we can't do it alone. We're very thankful for the listeners that come alongside us with financial and or prayerful support. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated and put to good use. And if you'd like to help us reach people with the love and truth of Christ, please visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. And as you give $25 or more today, request a copy of the book, Love, The More Excellent Way, authored by Pastor Chuck Smith. Ask 10 people on the street what love is, and you might get 10 different answers. So what is love? See how God answers that question in this wonderful book enjoyed by many. Again, call 877-30-GRACE, and we can take your resource request. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but come back next time when we'll resume Pastor Ed Taylor's study of Romans on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.